chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 8 to 22. And when you've found that, you can stand, please. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing. Know that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips, that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing, than for evil-doing. For Christ also has suffered for sins, that ju- the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word and for the power that it holds. And uh, Lord, as we uh, prepare to study your word, Lord, I just pray that you would give our messenger the words to say, that you would speak through him with clarity. And uh, Lord, for ourselves as we come here today, that you would have prepared our hearts and minds to receive your word. And uh, Lord, I don't know what circumstances or situations individuals may be going through at some time, but Lord, that you will bring comfort and encouragement and conviction, Lord, And, Lord, that we would uh, see uh, hearts and minds changed and we would leave here uh, better stewards of what you've given us, Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, young man. It is a uh, thrill to me to see these young men uh, being part of ministry, isn't it? And uh, these guys that are our future and what the Lord's going to be doing, we're all gone. The conscience. 
good conscience, bad conscience, seared conscience, the list goes on with how God describes the conscience in the Bible. So we're going to talk about the conscience for a while. And you may be saying, but preacher, it's not going to be you, somebody else, because aren't you having surgery on your other shoulder? The answer is no. The doctor, I met with him a couple weeks ago, and he's like, so what's going on? I'm like, it feels like really good. And he's like, well, why have surgery if it feels good? So we're going to put it off, and uh, if down the road I need it, um, I'll, I'll do that. And uh, if I could you know, keep from carrying Nathan all the time, I could probably not have <laughs> surgery. I had to do something to that guy after hitting me this morning. It's like, man... But then I shouldn't do that because then I got a bad conscience, you know, <laughs> sort of. Uh, Webster desc- describes the conscience as this, the sense or consciousness. I always love it when they use the same word you're trying to define in the definition. Anyways, uh, the moral goodness or blameworthiness of one's own conduct. I will repeat that is the sense, I'll put it that way of the moral goodness or blameworthiness of one's own conduct, intentions, or character together with a feeling of obligation to do right or to be good. That's a nice definition. Um, The conscience is from, you can almost see the word science in the word uh, has to do with the mind, the knowledge, the truth of something, and the um, Jiminy Cricket idea of uh, let your conscience be your guide. And that sounds good from from you know Walt Disney, but there is a little problem when you look at it truthfully and biblically. Okay, um, the trouble with the advice of just follow your conscience is that most people follow it like somebody following a wheelbarrow. They direct it in wherever they want it to go and then follow behind. In other words, if we are going to allow our own conscience to guide us, it is then based on the feelings of how we feel society is is approving or disproving of it, or can we handle not worrying about the way other people think about it, and can I get a good night's sleep based on what I have determined to do. If you go that way, you might feel good about one thing, and the next person that does it, they feel bad about it. There's no governing of it. And there needs to be a government of the conscience. I like this statement. Conscience tells us what we ought to do right. But the conscience does not tell us what is right. The conscience cannot determine in its own self the rights and wrongs of life. But rather, we are taught the rights and wrongs by the Word of God. So the Word of God is that which governs the mind to determine what is right or what is wrong. We had talked about a couple weeks ago leading into this, Romans 2, where it talks about even the lost Gentiles. They have a conscience. It's We have mentioned, I don't know what service it is, I preach so many times I get it all muddled together, but we had talked at some point about how when we were in the Amazon, uh, here they are, and they have rules and regulations, and you'd stop and say, well, what's it based on? 
they don't have the Bible, they were not believers. And so for generations, they weren't. But they determined to have laws that, yeah, you can, man, you can be married, and you can have ten wives if you want. But you're not allowed in your own tribe to kill another man and take his wife. That wouldn't be a, that's, that's not a good thing. So you're not allowed to murder somebody just to get their wife. Now if he dies, then you can marry her. So they have these, you know, you line up the scriptures, it's like, yeah, no, yeah, no, you're back and forth. There's some good and there's some things that might line up. Yeah, you're not supposed to murder somebody. But then in the same breath, they have no problem with going and murdering somebody else in the next tribe. And yet they have a law, it says, written inside of their hearts. There's something inside of them that they know there's right. And they know that there's wrong. You know why? Even in the middle of nowhere, they have no policeman, they have no judge, they just have their own rule that they even have a determination of that there is right and wrong. You know why? Genesis chapter 3. It tells us that when they partook of that fruit, it gave them the knowledge of good as well as evil. The only thing is, they don't have the Word of God like we do to govern them in their thoughts of what is right and what is wrong. The good conscience. And that's what we want to have. That's today's message, is that we want to have a good conscience. So I hope my policemen, friends, that are here like this illustration. There was a sergeant in Utah, the police department, and he opened his own wallet, and he noticed his driver's license had expired embarrassed at having caught himself red-handed. He had no alternative. He calmly and deliberately pulled out his ticket book and he wrote himself a citation. He then took the ticket to the city judge who fined him the five dollars. How could I give a ticket to anyone else for an expired license in the future if I didn't cite myself? Conscience. Most of us are not that hard on ourselves, are we? We can, you know, we can, we can justify about anything we do or don't do. We can find a way around it, you know. Well, I'm above the law, you know, I'm above this or that. So guys, just wanted you to know, if there's anything you need to ticket yourself for, it's okay. <laughs> Just kidding. But probably one of the one of the the strictest verses on the preacher comes this way. It's in also the book of Romans in chapter two. He says, "Okay, you who teach the Bible or teach the law, and you tell people do this and don't do that." And then he says, "And yet you find yourself doing it yourself." Who do you think you are that God's not going to judge you? It's like he's going to judge everybody else because I'm telling everybody else what's right and wrong and that I don't do the right or the wrong. Who do we think we are to not be judged ourselves? That's like a very convicting verse to this guy. The conscience. Allowing it to do, allowing it not to do. And um, uh, it's it's interesting to see how... This text, two times, talks about the conscience 
Okay? Uh, the first thing I need to do, and we read a lot of verses, and as I mentioned just two times, is the word good conscience mentioned. They are in verses 16 and verse 21. But he begins to build a case. Now, beginning of chapter 3 has to do with the home has to do with if a woman has an unbelieving husband, how do we work through this? He gives that description. And also about the husband and how he is to honor his wife as a weaker vessel. And then he gets into verse 8 and gives somewhat of a, a conclusion of some things that we as Christians are supposed to do. And I say we because he later on goes into them or they, the people that are not Christians. So he's kind of bouncing back and forth. And you need to understand that as we're going through. So the question is, how do we interact with each other? So he gives a whole list of what to be and what not to be. So there's the things we should do and there's things we shouldn't do. We should be pitiful. We should be courteous with other people. We should be a blessing. Did you come today just to be a blessing to somebody else? Or did you come to be blessed? Right? You'll find you get blessed when you bless others. But when you don't get blessed because everybody owes you something, you're going to be walking out miserable. You follow me? Amen. Okay. You ever have one of those messages? Choose kind of going downhill here. Alrighty. We're supposed to be peaceful people as Christians. Isn't this good? And we're all supposed to do good. And all the Christians are like, amen, we're supposed to be all of those things. That's right. But we're not to be is vengeful. We're not supposed to be hurtful with our tongues, with our words. We're not supposed to be beating people and hurting people, you know, being vindictive with our words. And, and we're not supposed to be evil. That's kind of a summary of several of the verses Instead, there are ways that we are to live, and if we do live those positive ways, those godly ways, it will then have an effect on the way God even answers our prayers. So there's two places in this text that he talks about our prayer life. The first one we didn't read goes back into verse 7 where he says to the husbands, if you don't honor your wives, you come to me in prayer, I'm not listening. So our relationship within our home must be right for us to have a proper prayer life. And then, of course, um, verse 12 describes it this way. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. Actions. When you say, you sure it's not talking about our justification? Yeah, because the latter part of it is talking about actions of doing good or doing evil. So when we are acting out... What we are knowing to do what is right, God's eyes says, I watch those things. Next, he says in verse 12, his ears then are open unto their prayers. Remember the song. If we regard iniquity in our hearts, the Lord does not hear our prayers. Now, let's pause here because this is important to us. We sometimes wonder, why, Lord, are you not answering my prayer? There could be multiple reasons But what we do at the top of our checklist as Christians is, is my heart right with Him? That's the first thing we need to do as a checklist. And of course, we do need to go through the rest. Well, maybe this isn't the Lord's will. Maybe this is my will. 
Maybe the Lord's saying, no, it's just not going to happen. Or it may be, yes, it's going to happen, but not right now. It might be later on. There's a lot of ways that our God answers our prayer, and that's why my prayers are always answered. They are. You say, well, that's kind of arrogant to think God always answers your prayer. Yeah, because I always say, God, your will be done. Therefore, it's always answered just the way I want it. Because if I put, trust me, I prayed enough, my will be done, and God said, nope, 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 and I kept on nagging him, and he said, fine, Carl, I'll give you what you want. And watch how miserable you become. I learned a long time ago, you just put it into God's will. Let him take care of it in his way, his timing, submit to him. But, he says, the face of the Lord is against them that do or participating in evil. And so, anybody here as Christians really don't care if God hears your prayers? I think we do. And so what God is saying, let's look at our hearts, opening it up to make sure that we're living the right way, that God will answer our prayers. And we know inside of our, if you can use the word conscience there, we know when we are in the will of God, we know when we're walking with the Lord, and we have a good conscience towards our God as an individual. The conscience is an amazing thing. You know, Paul talked about it in Romans 9, uh, verse 1. He says, I speak the truth and lie not, the Spirit also bearing witness with my conscience. So the Spirit of God inside of the Christian be able, is the one that begins to knock inside of us and say, that's right, or are you kidding me? That's not right. Based on the Word of God, not how I feel. But there are, now listen, this is, listen, this is one of the most critical things that we as Christians forget to do. And it's 1 Corinthians 2 where he says, we compare the spiritual with the spiritual. We begin to govern our lives and our situations based on the Word of God, where the Spirit of God brings to light the Word of God to shed light on the circumstances that we don't know exactly what to do. So if we are in the Word, know the Word, the Spirit of God works in the conscience saying, Carl, you know exactly what you need to do or not to do. And that is the governing action that happens inside of us. So um, we are to affect others. We are to be conscious, conscious of our God constantly. And we'll talk about that just a little bit more uh, later on. But... But when we, in this life, go through life, we realize that what we do, our actions, our reactions, are seen by others. And that's where we're heading to in this text. It's the, the others. Um, look with me to verse 13. Who is he that will harm you? Well, hopefully it's not a Christian. Think about that. If you be followers of that which is good. So the actions are right. And the question is, who would ever attack you for doing something that's right? If you suffer, verse 14, for righteousness sake, what's the next phrase? Happy. Okay, let's park right there. 
Right? That's the last thing we usually are when we did the right thing and then somebody else comes and beats us up, tells us how horrible we are for doing the right thing. And our reaction then, God is saying, you and I are supposed to be, thank you, happy. Just like this gives me so much joy that you think that about me. Is that how we react, right? It's not. The first thing we usually do is get defensive. What do you mean calling me that or saying that I did this? You've been there. You watched what I did the whole time. And we begin to excuse our actions, not realizing, wait a minute, this is an unsaved guy that looks at me as a threat. They really don't like me just because In their mind, I'm a do-gooder. I want to do good things. So therefore, they don't like you. By the way, should we be surprised when the world doesn't like us? Marvel not, right? That's the phrase he says. So, we begin to suffer for doing right. And then he goes on, Happy are ye, and don't be afraid, or be not afraid of their terror Neither be troubled. That's the security that God is giving you and I in the midst of our, our, and I'll use the word persecution. When they are really, you know, looking at you and you could lose your job, you could lose something for doing the right thing, stop and say, you know what? This is not going to bother me. You say, Carl, that's easy for you to say. You're not the one in it. I agree. I agree. Um, I don't go through it as I know some of our missionaries and other pastors do. You at work, and, and, I, and I find myself sometimes in a bubble because sometimes I'm not around the world enough to receive that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, when it comes, I have to be prepared. And this is what he says to do, verse 15. So sanctify the Lord God where? In your heart. You say, I thought God was already there. He is. What is the thought here? Sanctify Him. You say He is sanctified. I understand that. But inside of your heart, the one who is already there, we have to have an awareness of His very presence to separate in our minds our God and His holiness and His righteousness and who God is, our Creator, our God, and make sure that we are aware of His presence inside instead of trying to do it on our own goodness, our own sanctification, instead um, saying, I am right, we stop and say, God, I'm thinking of You. I'm separating you inside of me that I am, I am consulting you. I'm thinking about you. I want what's right. So sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always. Now notice, this is that phrase, to give an answer. I was uh, discipling a man years ago. Led him to the Lord here and uh, took a, a few years discipling him. And when we were just about done... Uh, he's a businessman and, and uh, communicated with a lot of different people. And he said, I found myself one day across the desk from a, a businessman. And, and he said, we were doing some business together. And, and I found out that he was a Christian. And I told him, I said, I'm a Christian too. And he said, for the next hour, we didn't even talk about business. He said, we just stopped and talked about the Lord. We talked about the Bible. 
We had an incredible time of fellowship right there. Didn't even know each other before that time period. And he said, Carl, this is what I want you to know. Before discipleship, before I was saved, I would have had nothing to say to that man. I would have said, let's get to business. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about the business end of things. And he said, I actually had something intelligent to talk to him about in the Bible now because I knew the word. The word of God gives us the answer. It gives us a means by which we can begin to communicate with people when we have the Lord in our hearts, we are conscious of Him and His working inside of us, and then we receive the indoctrination. Pause, commercial, Wednesday nights. This is what we are walking through. We are walking through Doctrines 101. And we're going through the fundamentals of who our God is, the importance of the Word, our triune God, the salvation, all of the ologies. We're walking through the foundations of them. And this is not, this is not discipleship one. This is definitely a next level up for us to be able to walk through. Let's get to know, study, and draw out from the Word of God what God says about Himself, not what I feel about God. That'll get me nowhere. But rather, what does God speak to me about himself as he is revealing himself through the general and special revelation? And so we're digging in. So once we get to know through the word of God and we begin to grow, we then begin to have an answer, not only to Christians, as my illustration gave, but also to the lost. I know how to react now when they are vicious towards me. Vicious. I mean, some are actually on an agenda to attack and to pull you down. And so when we stop and say, Lord, I'm yours, you are mine, give me the answer. I want to know how to share with them about hope. Why do you do these things? How can you actually, Edna, come to church the day after your husband's funeral and your mom passes away, how would you even want or have the energy to come here? God's grace. What else are you going to say? It's because God enables. He gives me answers. He helps me to realize my husband, my mama, they're in heaven now. They're communing. They're, they're, before, they're before God. They're able to see the one that they have been praying to. They know. They've seen the nail prints in the Savior's hands. These are our hopes. And that gives us an answer. It is not, well, you know, I read this book one time, and they feel this, and they feel that, and let's start going through a strategy. Uh Uh-uh. It is with a yes. It's an affirmative. It's a positive. It's, It's an absolute uh, folks, there's enough mud out there in the philosophies, both in the Christian and in the world's views, that we need to be coming with an absolute, simplified truth that cannot be altered or taken two ways. It is this. It is the simplicity that my hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a personal relationship with Him. I just talked to Him this morning. Just talk to him the whole way to church here. I had some music going, and I'm like, you know what? I need a little extra prayer time here for this morning service. Because I knew this one was, this was on my mind. I want to get through this because we're, 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 we're seeing a lot of, of, of struggles in Christians in the mind. 
And that's why this whole series, since basically June of this year, we've been dealing so much with the mind and the joy and the prayer life and to think on these things and the, the Psalms and getting us here, folks, ready. We have to get our heads ready. If we're not ready, we will fall. We'll fail. It's that coach preparing for the game. We have to have things ready. We shouldn't be winging it. We should already have ready an answer to give to everybody about the hope that is within us. It is done with the attitude of fear. It is the attitude of meekness. And as we go into it that way, they see the humility about us, the strength that is in control, that we fear God, we are, we are serious about the answer that we are giving. It affects people. Be ready. Are you ready? Get ready. Be ready. Because it's coming. Because as soon as you go to work, and they see you put your Bible verse on top of your desk, or they see, you know, a screensaver, Jesus saves, or whatever is there, John 3.16, whatever it is, and they say, oh, you're one of them. You are a marked person. You are now labeled... And they're after you. You say, no, they don't do that at my office. Hang in there. Somebody will be hired. They will. It is coming your way. So be ready. Because it is your opportunity to have Christ shine through you. We must move on. Verse 16. Here it is. Continuation thought, as you can see the last part of verse 15. Verse 16. Having... Here it is, a good conscience. That's what we want. We're dealing with opposition. We're dealing with how we deal with each other. And we are to have a good conscience that whereas, now notice, they, the unsaved, the people that are out there, speak evil of you as though you are evildoer. As of evildoers, they may be ashamed. The word is to confound even to make them blush, that they would be like, oh, I can't believe I said that about you, once they find out the truth, which is, as they falsely accuse your good lifestyle or conversation that is in Christ, they know that you do what you do because you're in Christ. This effect, this... uh, Acts or accusations that our actions are culpable, guilty, and they say that you are actually evil. You say, why would a person, even lost, look at me, if I'm doing something good, call me an evil doer? They did it in the book of Acts over and over again. Look at the book of Acts. You say, what happened? Well, Paul, Silas, they go into Philippi. This woman is demon-possessed, they heal her, and immediately they throw him in jail and beat him up. You say, what did they do wrong? That's my point. They helped somebody. They helped a woman who was being tortured 
over and over again when acts of righteousness done by the Lord Jesus Christ through them were accomplished, the world, especially the religious lost, looked at them as evil doers. Saul with David. He despised David. Why? Because he killed more Philistines than Saul himself did. And the people were crying out in the streets. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And it says from that day forward, Saul eyed him to a point where he tried to kill him, hunted him down like a deer to take his life. You say, what evil did he do? Nothing. Matter of fact, he, Saul, probably didn't have a better supporter of Saul's ministry than David himself. And yet David was hunted down. Saul turned on him. What evil did he do? Nothing. But he was considered evil. Be ready. You may stop this week and say, I can't believe how this is now coming to light and how I do see I am actually opposed where I am within my own family. I mean, folks, when when my wife and I really started getting serious for God, it was my family that attacked me. You're going to church again? Why? Sundays are for family. You stay here. You're going to do what? You're going to sing in a choir, and you're going to church at what time? And then you're going to stay for church? I'm pausing right there, Selah. So you're going to go to choir, and then you're actually going to go to church, and you're going to be there for hours? Are you kidding me? You should be home, resting, getting ready for the next day of work. This is refreshing when I come to church. I'm learning. I'm growing. I get to sing. It's, it's actually a lot of fun. Mark, you can pay me later, wherever you're at. Yeah, I'm hoping I can get in the choir for Christmas. It'd be a lot of fun. I love, love singing. Good conscience. Even though they're speaking evil, look at verse 17. It's interesting how God ties himself in with this whole scenario. It's even better if the will of God be so. In other words, folks, it is, there are times that God's will is that we suffer because when we suffer, we become the most effective witnesses. It's not when everything's going well. He says that it's a will of God be that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. In other words, don't... Listen, I heard people say, oh, I'm just suffering for Jesus. What happened? Well, I did this and this and this, which were all bad and evil. And then they got these citations, and they got all these bills to pay, and they got to stand before the judge, and I'm just suffering for Jesus. No, it's called sowing and reaping. You know, don't blame God for you being dumb. Okay? If you do wrong, take the blame. That's not what God wants you to do. He wants you to do right. And then when we suffer for doing good, then you get thrown in jail because you're preaching Christ or doing something positive. That's when God says, good job. And that's why he says there in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus, anybody know the rest? Shall suffer persecution. Mark it down. We live for him. People aren't going to like us. Here's the example, verse 18. For Christ also hath once 
suffered for sins. Remember in Hebrews, over and over again, one time, once for all, Jesus Christ finished it on the cross. He was the just, and He died for the unjust. That He might bring us, that will be the believers, to God... How? By being put to death in the flesh and yet quickened, made alive by the Spirit. And that is capitalized, not His own, but the Spirit of God is instrumental in the very resurrection. And you can see that in Romans chapter 8. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead be in you, Christ was raised. He Himself, the Father, the Spirit, God, Trinity, right there, all wrapped up in the resurrection, and he says here, the illustration or example is Jesus. So, Jesus, it's interesting, he uses the word Christ, Messiah, to describe the descriptions that Isaiah 53 and all of those Old Testament texts tell you and I that Jesus was going to suffer as the Messiah. And the Messiah went through all of these sufferings as an example to you and I. And as Hebrews says, also to identify with you and I when we suffer. So we can't think, oh Jesus, you don't understand what I'm going through. You never went through this. You didn't live this day and age. Oh, my friend, trust me, you went through nothing compared to what our Savior went through. Yeah, you may have been beat, you may have been hit, you may have gone through some harsh words. He went through all of the above. Um, as Hebrews says, many of us have not resisted unto blood. We haven't, we haven't shed uh, a drop of blood for our persecution. Yet he did. But to go beyond all of the physical and the mental anguish was the spiritual aspect of our Savior on the cross in his sufferings. Because he was just. He died for the unjust. If you don't know this, you need to know that Jesus died for you. Your hell, your torment was put on the Savior at the cross so that you could go free. He is a just one. He didn't deserve the death. And yet He took it for us who are the unjust for the purpose to bring us to God. To reconcile you and I to a relationship with God by believing in Christ's death and resurrection. You are made whole. You are made one. You are in the family. You are justified. You are sanctified. The list goes on with what our God has done for you. And that's what you get to discover the rest of your Christian life. Is all the masterful things that our God has done for us. The moment we just said, dear Jesus, come into my heart. Save me just the way I am. Lord, I'm not worthy to be saved, but thank you for dying on the cross for my sin and saving me. And I was 19 years old. And if you can put in that time when you called on the Lord to be your Savior, and if you haven't yet, in about two minutes, you're going to be able to. Well, you can do it now, too, if you want. That's the way for me. That's awesome how he talks about being put to death. Christ was put to death, yet he gave his own life as we know, and he quickened by the Spirit. He gives the illustration. I don't have time to get all the rest of the depth of this. Wish I did. But just look at this whole thing of the figure. And that's the first part of verse 21. The like figure. It's, it's, he's showing the illustration of Noah. And in the ark, being immersed, and that immersion actually lifted him up and delivered him and saved him from the destruction that was happening in the world. And that's how he's a picture of, of, of how baptism is a picture of salvation, the death and the resurrection. 
And that's how what Christ did, and that's what happens to us. There's a death. We've died with Him, Romans 6, and yet we're alive and well. It's a resurrected life, and that's the principle of how baptism ties together with salvation. Not that the baptism literally does the saving, or Jesus didn't need to die. The blood wouldn't have had to be shed if just getting into a water and dunking you would get you into heaven. Why Jesus have to die? That's obviously not the truth. The truth is, this is a good conscience that understanding of the death and the resurrection, that now I have a good conscience because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And He is the one. that It didn't stop the resurrection, but He also ascended, in verse 22, up into heaven. There's a quick overview of chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Pretty neat stuff, isn't it? Uh, let me read this. Just a few phrases. I, I'm not going to take the time to read the whole thing. One writer put it this way, A good conscience is able to bear very much and is very cheerful in adversities. An evil conscience is always fearful and unquiet. Never rejoice except when you have done well. You shall rest sweetly in your heart. Does not accuse when their heart does not accuse you. Sinners never have true joy or feel inward peace because there is no peace for the wicked, says Isaiah fifty-seven twenty-one. The glory of the good is in their consciences and not in the tongues of others. The gladness of the just is of God and in God and their joy is of the truth. A person who easily will easily be content and pacified whose conscience is pure. If you consider what you are within, you will not care what others say concerning you. 1 Peter 3. They say you're evil, but you have a good conscience. You don't care what they say, because God knows you. And they know your intent. They know why you did what you did. Don't worry about man. Abraham Lincoln said about the end of the Civil War, and i got to be quick, but he says, I desire so to conduct the affairs of this administration that if at the end when I come to lay down the reins of power, I have lost every friend on earth. I shall at last have one friend left, and that friend shall be down inside of me. I have to make an effort to keep my conscience so sensitive that I walk without offense. I should be living in such perfect sympathy with God's Son that in every circumstance, the spirit of my mind is renewed. The one that keeps the conscious sensitive to Him is the habit of being open to God on the inside. When there is any debate that is inside of your conscience, quit. There is no debate possible when conscious speaks. Because the Spirit of God is working in you to bring you to do that which His Word has already said is the right thing to do. My friend, if you are here and you are not saved, right now the Spirit of God is working inside of you. I remember that day, fighting it, 
I remember those three weeks battling it. And then I kept on going back for more. Until about week three, I'm like, I need them. This is truth. And my conscience was made aware by the Spirit of God that I was lost and I needed Christ. Father, we've had a chance to look at Your Word briefly and I thank You for this time. I pray, Lord, that You have been glorified and honored in it. And I do pray now, Lord, this invitation that it is Yours. As You work inside of folks, I pray that maybe some here as Christians, as they read this text, were convicted about their attitude towards others. Maybe, Lord, there are some here that are lost and they've actually been attacking Christians. They didn't even realize what they were doing. And there's blushing now. There's shame because of it. Lord, they need you. Even as Paul persecuted the church, but buddy, when he found you and he got saved, it just changed everything. So Lord, I pray that you will gloriously save this day. This is your department, Lord. It is your power. It is your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you will do the work this day inside. Draw them to yourself, Lord. May this soil be prepared and ready to receive your word. Now, if heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't do that very often, but I am going to ask you this. If you are here and you say, Pastor Carl, okay, you got my attention. I am not a Christian. I'll admit that. And I know right now it is time. I need to be saved. God's working in my heart. And I know, I know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus died for my sin. He rose again. How do I get saved? It is simply by calling on him. So admitting it to God. Calling on him and saying, Lord, I'm that sinner. I, I know Jesus died, rose again. Come into my heart, save me, and he will. If you're right now here and say, Pastor Carl, I want to make that decision. I want to make it as simple as I can. How be I help you with that prayer? And you say this to God, and you mean it with all of your heart. You say, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and that you are the one that died on the cross for my sin. I know three days later you rose from the dead for me. And now, Lord, I believe you with my heart, and I take you as my personal Savior. Help me now to live for you. Thank you for the eternal life that you've given me, that one day I can be with you in heaven. Thank you for saving me. As by and eyes closed, if you prayed that and you called on the Lord right there, nobody's looking around at me. If you did, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor Carl, I did. I called on the Lord right there as my Savior, and I invited him in. Anybody like that? If you didn't, it's okay. Lord, for this invitation now, Lord, it is yours. Use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.